With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This, this, this is, 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 is Fight Disciples. We are gathered here today for the Fight Disciples UFC and Boxing Talk. How you doing? Hope you're well. Thank you so much for downloading today's show. Nick has lost his mojo when it comes to predicting the outcomes of fights. And he's decided to make up some new phrases. It wasn't our best prediction week, I've got to be honest. And you look back to the back end of 2016 when we were just like popping, popping and plopping. Cash and checks. Popping and plopping? (laughs) Is that even a phrase? I think what I meant to say was cash and... uh, Cash and checks... I don't know. He's also still a little bit bitter towards GSP. He doesn't trust him. You're you're just still bitter towards him. Listen, you've got to let it go, man. He's here. It's going to happen. I hope so. I hope it does happen. (laughs) See? You're still in denial. You're still denying that it's going to happen. I will believe it when I fucking see it. And going back to making up phrases, check this out for serious analytics when it comes to describing the finish in the Mirsad Bektic fight. Bektic kind of rolls on top of himself into this bizarre knockout position like he's sucking his own cock. It was weird, man. It was weird. This is the Fight Disciples podcast. Subscribe now via the iTunes store. Welcome to episode 82 of the Fight Disciples podcast. Thank you so much for downloading today's show. Um, If you've missed any of our previous content on anything that we've talked about, whether it be the UFC or boxing, go to our website, fightdisciples.com. You can come and play the game with us every single day on our social media at Fight Disciples on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Today, of course, with it being a Thursday, is dedicated to the world of UFC and all the fallout of UFC 209. Do you, shall we do our apologies now? Shall we? Or, or, or shall we leave it till later on and see if like, we can make it blow over, Nick? Um, we didn't have a great week, let's be honest. It wasn't better than our, 208. It, We're getting it, better, though, aren't we? It's it better was, than 208. It wasn't our best prediction week, I've got to be honest. And you look back to the back end of 2016 when we were just like... Popping, popping and plopping. Cash and checks. Popping and plopping? Is that even a phrase? I think what I meant to say was cash and... uh, Cash and checks. I don't know. I don't know what I was trying to say. But basically, we did did well back end of last year and we've done... You were thinking of cash and checks breaking next is what you were doing, weren't you? That's what I was thinking, yeah, yeah. But we're we're performing like Liverpool FC, aren't we now? We're just not not working in 2017 like we were in 2016. We've had a heavy Christmas, mate. We've had a heavy Christmas and we're still in the hangover period. Yeah, the good thing is at least this time around, unlike 2008, at least 209, yes, there was some disappointments on there, but at least it was a good card. At least it was a good card. Main event, we'll come to, but the rest of the card was a good card, man. I enjoyed it. Talk about disappointments, man. We're going to have to go to the weigh-in the day before. I sent you a message saying, Khabib's gone to hospital, you were absolutely fuming, and then you were watching the live stream counting down because you've got to hit weight at a certain time of day. And they were like, you, every five minutes, Nick's messaging me going, half an hour to go, 25 minutes to go, 
20 minutes to go. We were expecting like a Royal Rumble entrance, weren't we? <laughs> like an ultimate warrior coming we steaming in. For it. That's what yeah. it is. The fight's going on in the ring, but then all of a sudden the music kicks in like they do in the WWE. And then the ultimate warrior comes rushing to the ring. The crowd go crazy. He's here. He's made it. He's made weight. No, he was in hospital, mate. Yeah. Um, and you've got massive, massive thought processes on this new weighing in process, which is causing so many problems. We're having so many fights getting called off in fight week because of this particular structure. Yeah, I think I was I heard today something like 16 or 17 of the last 30 UFC events have lost either the main or the co-main. That's over 50% of the basically the the, the selling fights wow. have dropped off because of um either weight issues or fighters pulling out or whatever, you know, the fights just aren't happening like they used to do. Guys are just pulling out a lot easier. And What's the big... problem? Why is it? Just for those that are not UFC fans, for those that don't understand the new structure, just explain it one more time. And why is this causing such a problem? So the way in, you know, we used to traditionally, like boxing, used to be 24 hours, roughly 24 hours before the start of the event the day before. So, you know, you're looking usually around four, five o'clock on a Friday. This is the UFC, um, yeah? This was the UFC and like similar to pro boxing, you know, most sports, most fight sports kind of follow that pro boxing thing and the UFC did the same thing. But the uh, the commissions, they came together, the ABC, I think it was, and the California Commission, they kind of came together and they were like, right, we need to make this weight cutting issue safer. So what we're going to do is we're going to bring the weigh-in forward to nine between 9 and 10 a.m. on the Friday morning, the day before an event, or, you know, the day before an event, if the event's on a Sunday or whatever. But basically now it's that we get a 60-minute window in the morning at the Fighters Hotel, and then the, 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 the weigh-in that we see to the public and everything else yeah. that's a sham that's a masquerade you know the guys have already made weight or not made weight by then so you only get a 60 minute window now now the thinking behind it is that the guys get can weigh in earlier then they get longer to rehydrate and yeah. get healthy for the main event um, which for me is kind of like putting a band-aid over a broken leg because that does not help with the issue. The issue is that guys, listen, this is fight sports. Guys are going to always try and find an edge. You know, guys will always want to try and be bigger, stronger, faster than every opponent. It's just human nature and you're never going to get rid of it. So moving the way in earlier isn't going to help the problem because the guys then think, well, actually I've got an extra six hours or eight hours or whatever to rehydrate now, so I'll kill myself even more mm. to make that weight. And the other argument is that guys are struggling to make, do this morning time because usually they would wake up on the Friday or the day before the fight and go, right, okay, I've got six hours now to get rid of quick jump on the scales, these last two pounds, whereas now guys are waking up and going, shit, I've now got an hour to get rid of these last two pounds. It all just basically comes down to the fact that guys are still not cutting weight properly or trying to cut too much weight. And just bringing it forward like this isn't going to help anything. You know, it, it grates me. You know, you, if you're going to bring it forward an extra eight hours, bring it forward fucking three days. You know, it doesn't really... At the end of the day, the, the weight issue is always going to be an issue until they resolve it. And for me, this is not the way to resolve it. Regarding Khabib then, because he's the man that missed weight, and for me, yeah. weight... Not for is, the first time. Yeah, 
for me though, weight is part of the thing, not just necessarily performing in the ring to get yourself the opportunities. You have got uh, a duty of care to yourself and your yep. professionalism in order to do things right, keep yourself healthy, get yourself on weight. Don't well, you sign weight. a contract? You sign a contract Absolutely. to take a All fight these things. on that date okay. at a certain weight. So what happens now then to Khabib? Because Khabib or and his team or his advisors have failed as part of their contract, yep. and therefore they miss out on this what would have been the interim lightweight title. Uh, Half a million dollar paycheck as well. Absolutely. And then that sets up maybe, if he can be bothered with it and he doesn't go running, a Conor McGregor fight later down the line. That's what we were all aiming towards. For me now, I mean, you're the expert at this, but for me, Khabib goes down the pecking order. You you miss that opportunity. You break your contract. Tough shit. You don't come straight back in for another interim shot at Tony Ferguson next time round. Yeah, you know, I can see that argument and what backs that up more than anything is the fact that we've seen the same thing happen to Johnny Hendricks. We've seen the th- same thing happen to Kelvin Gastelum where the UFC went, right, that's it. You fucking, you've pissed us off. You're going to have to move up a weight division now and compete there for at least a fight or two until we decide, you, you know, you can come back down to your natural weight class. Whether they'll do the same with Khabib, I don't think so. There's many factors here, in, you know, to, to think about and that's that. Khabib's a massive draw. You know, he's the biggest Russian star in the UFC. The UFC have just signed a, a network TV deal in Russia, so they've obviously got big plans for Khabib mm. in terms of rolling out their product in Russia. He's big. He's obviously a Muslim, and he would have been the first yeah. uh, Muslim champion, so therefore that's a whole new um, aspect exactly. to it as well. You know, it, it, there's so much marketability around Khabib, plus he's undefeated and an absolute yeah, killer course. and a massive fan favourite on top of everything else. So I, I can't see Khabib being punished too much or, or long term I really feel for Tony Ferguson you know I'm a huge Tony Ferguson fan um, I really thought this was a 50-50 fight going in anyway the problem I've got is I do kind of for me I think Khabib Khabib's listen whatever the UFC do ain't gonna ain't gonna upset, upset Khabib more than the fact that he's just missed out on picking up a $500,000 check plus if he'd have won on Saturday, the golden lottery ticket of a, se- a seven-figure check, that is the reward of fighting Conor McGregor. So, listen, Khabib's fucking back in Russia crying into his bowl of you know potato and leek soup. That is assured. <laughs> we ain't going to be able to punish him anymore. The guy is devastated. The problem is... It's all good and well saying, let's punish Khabib, let's do this, and you know, let's get Tony Ferguson. Tony should just go and fight Conor then. And just wait a minute, because my issue is, as a fan, I fucking want to see Khabib versus Tony Thompson, uh, Tony Ferguson. Yeah. That's the best fight in the lightweight division. We've talked about the fact that Connor, yes, he's the champion, everything else. But last week's show, you know, we even in the preview, we were saying Connor circumnavigated these two killers to get to Eddie Alvarez. Connor versus one of these guys starts as a, an underdog. I'm telling you now, he's an underdog. These guys are right on the top. These are the best two lightweights in the world, in my opinion. And this was a fight I really wanted to see. So if there's any possible way the UFC can salvage this, I don't know. I know Khabib's back in Russia now, so I don't know whether that means he's just gone back to recover and it's back to square one and he'll have to start an entire new camp again. Or whether he's just taking like, you know, a couple of weeks back there, get his head together, jump back in. He could be back in the octagon next month or the month after. I don't know, but I'm just praying. I want to see... Khabib versus Tony Ferguson. Connor's not going anywhere. Connor's not going to fight anybody else. You know, the only fight Connor would have jumped straight back in for, I believe, was George St. Pierre. We know GSP is fighting Michael Bispin now. These two guys, I want to see these two guys fight for the interim belt, and then we'll see where the where the where the you know the rest of the division lies. What did you make of all the chat regarding obviously once the fight's called off when Khabib doesn't make weight, 
Um, there's still an opportunity for Tony Ferguson to fight because he has made weight. Michael yep. Johnson then uh, throwing his hat into the ring and all the Ferrari around that. I was a little bit disappointed with the UFC because I wanted Tony Ferguson to fight. I think he earned the right to fight on that particular card. Yep. Therefore, why offer him a pay cut to fight? Okay, don't offer him the, the, the belt because maybe Michael Johnson isn't worthy of a shot at winning no. the interim title. But he just lost to Khabib, so you know, it wouldn't make sense for him to get yeah. an interim title shot. For me, obviously, Ferguson's got, a, Ferguson's got a loss to Michael Johnson as well prior yeah. to going on this incredible run, so it would have been the, the perfect opponent. I don't know what weight division they said it was going to be. I don't know whether Michael Johnson would have been capable of making lightweight at such short notice. But I was like, you guys are a bit like, fucking hell. You know, pay him the money. Just pay him the money. Just get, pay get him on. Give it, you know, at the end of the day, they must have had to pay him something. It must have been in his contract that he gets paid something. The thing that shocked me most is that he isn't getting his full wage because Tony Ferguson was there. He was ready. He he did exactly what he would said he would do in his contract. And that was turn up in Las Vegas, make £155 and be ready to fight. If I was Tony Ferguson, and you know his manager should have said, "Well, fuck, Khabib's gone. That's fine. My boy's getting on the scales at, at uh, you know at the weigh, and he's got. In fact, he did weigh in. He did weigh in. Didn't yeah, he, he did. Yeah. he was. He's done. My boy's weighed in. My boy's ready to go. Pay him his money. He needs paying. You know, I don't know whether that conversation happened, but then when when we heard the fallout of him saying. They wanted me to fight, but it was for less money against Michael Johnson. It was like, wait a minute, for less money, you should have got paid anyway. You were there. You put, you kept your side of the bargain. So that kind of surprised me. But yeah, you know, they should have moved to heaven and earth, to be honest with you, to make the Michael Johnson fight happen. Because, you know, heading in, um, let's be fair, the, the pay-per-view would have took a right kicking yeah. when that fight fell off, you know, and uh, and justifiably so in, in the end, because anybody that actually watched Woodley versus Thompson you know, if it wasn't for the the rest of the card was ace, but then Woodley versus Thompson was one of the worst title fight main events I've ever seen in the UFC. And if I'd paid, if I was in America and I paid sixty dollars for that, I'd be like, "Fuck! I knew I shouldn't have paid this." That mm. you know, the best fight on the card was Ferguson versus Khabib. This is why you don't pre-book UFC. Always wait, <laughs> yeah. always wait till they start making the octagon walk. Then you know. See, we're all right here. The, we just get it all anyway. We're all right on this side of the pond. But if I was in the US, man, I would not buy a pay-per-view <laughs> until the last minute. Not right now with so many fights dropping off. You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. Before we get stuck into obviously breaking down UFC 209, I want to break down the press conference that happened before 209, um, which got me extremely excited, mainly because he's a mate of ours. He's been on this show, the one and only counts, the middleweight champion of the world, Michael Bispin. We've been alluding to this for weeks, mate, yeah? Yep. Yo Romero's the number one. That's who everybody was screaming at him for. Don't duck, don't duck, fight your man, fight your man. Listen, Mike's not ducking anybody. He just does what he's told. Yeah. As we found out, the UFC told him to fight Dan Henderson because they love a narrative. So they did it over here in Manchester. Why? Because they love a narrative. He came through it. He did the business. Mike would fight Yo Romero if he was told to fight Yo Romero. However, the UFC want GSP. Don't get me wrong. Mike wants GSP as well because there's some serious fucking money there, mate. Yeah. And now that that fight has been made, we haven't got a date, we haven't got a venue, but we're thinking um, July, August, September time, around that time, yeah. Michael Bisping, GSP, what a press conference this was, man. Because the boy from around my neck of the woods in Clitheroe absolutely tore the place down. I think he turned up pissed. I'll be honest with you, mate. Yeah, he yeah. tore the place up. What a lad. Uh, he, he literally did look a bit pissed, didn't he, when he <laughs> rocked in? He was like, oh, I'm, I'm late, I don't give a fuck, the old Conor McGregor line. I was like, oh, God. 
Oh, God, someone breathalyzed Mike. He's in a bad way. You, fa- you kind of forget how good Mike is at a press conference because of the domination that Conor McGregor has had, though, over the last period of, period of time. I he's mean, always is, enjoyed it. He's always mate, been good. He's yeah. wicked. He's brilliant. He he's always been good. He's entertaining, and he'll certainly sell it. You know, he'll sell the life out of that fight. And I'm hoping they do a, a bit of a tour with that fight. I know it's a bit of a circus, a bit of a freak show thing, but if it takes place in Vegas in July... They'll have to do UK. They'll have to do a UK presser. They'll have to do a Canadian presser, obviously, in Montreal or Toronto, something like that. So they may even do a New York prior to, uh, you know, prior to the fight happening in Vegas, if it happens in Vegas in July, we'll wait for confirmation. So that would be pretty awesome to do a little bit of a world tour with them because this fight sells, you know, and it'll do good numbers. Uh, so fingers crossed that happens. But it's still a bit weird. You know, I'm still trying to get my head around it. As Why? Like, well, it's, you know, I think obviously George has, you're just, back into the UFC you're just pissed off with George because you've written so many articles on George over the last what six <laughs> yeah. years about him being so out. He's coming back. Yeah, exactly. You're just, you're just still bitter towards him. Listen, you've got to let it go, man. He's here. It's, it's going to happen. I hope so. I hope it does <laughs> See? happen. See, you're still I, in I denial. You're still denying that it's going to happen. I will believe it when I fucking see it. When George is walking to the octagon in his Reebok and even And even then. Then I'll be like, <laughs> this might happen now. This actually might happen, but... It's a weird one. Clearly, one million percent George St. Pierre's come back in and handpick Michael Bisping. Whatever you think of that, there you go. that's, you know, whatever. But in my opinion, it's a bit... He's He, he needs to be careful here because I'm telling you, Mike is no joke. You know, Mike is absolutely no walk, walk, walk over for anybody, even for a guy as dominating as George St. Pierre and as outstanding as George was. You know, on his day, George St. Pierre was... One of the greatest that's ever done it, no doubt. But for a guy to be out so long to jump back in with George St. Pierre, you know, are we getting flashes of David Hay against Tony well, Bellis? Is here it. Do you know bit, something? You know? I was going to, listen, I was going to chuck this your way then because yeah, you're, getting, you're being romantic again. What you're doing is you're judging George St. Pierre from the old George St. Pierre. We don't know what this one's like. Exactly. He had you been know, here for time, man. It's slightly different because obviously it was, it was Tony Bellew, the active current world champion, who moved up to compete against the former, you know, one-time great as he's still got it in the locker. This is slightly different because GSP is moving into Bisping's world. He's going into Mike Bisping's domain and he's the one that's been active. So it's, it's. I think it's a, it's an intelligent move by GSP. You know, at the end of the day, I think Tyron Woodley, uh, I think Robbie Lawler, um, I think even Wonderboy, I know him and, him and Wonderboy are pals, so that probably would never have happened. But, you know, they're real tough guys that are, fight at an electric pace and everything else. I think Mike is obviously a veteran, like GSP is a veteran, and he's thinking, you know, a similar pace, a similar level. This is a, even though Mike's bigger, this is a a more comfortable fight to come back at. Plus, worst case scenario for George St. Pierre, he comes back, Bisping's just too big and too strong, and George isn't able to keep him on his back long enough, and Bisping gets a few shots off and gets gets the win. George St. Pierre team just go, well, oh, well, then, OK, it doesn't really matter. We're not really middleweight, so we'll come back as a welterweight where we really should be. And, uh, hmm, anybody else from the lightweight division fancy a fight at uh, welterweight against the great George St. Pierre? Chad Ching, Conor McGregor, what you up to, son? <laughs> uh, I think that fight is inevitable at some stage down the line if if Conor stays in mixed martial arts. And, and if stays George in USC, stays in, so. I mean, you never know. Bisping even might if, beat him I think, up. Even if GSP beats Bisping... I think he will. He, he's going to give that belt up. GSP ain't fighting fucking Luke Rockhold or Jacare or Joel Romero. He ain't, he ain't hanging with those guys. They they're fucking huge. He for me, GSP beats Bisping. You know, 
announces his return to the UFC and then goes, right, okay, I'm not really interested in defending this middleweight belt because, you know, I can get down to welter. I'm going to do a full camp and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to give that belt up. Thanks, but I'm back. Right, where can I go now? I'm going to go to welterweight. Why doesn't Conor give up the lightweight belt and I'll meet him at, at, at welterweight for a non-title fight? doesn't matter. We don't need titles as as we proved, as Conor proved last year again in his two fights with Nate Diaz. He doesn't even need a title to break pay-per-view records. Mm. And Conor versus GSP, man, that sells. That sells on every single continent. Just a note on your Romero. I do feel sorry for him because he's done everything that he was supposed to have done to get himself into the number one contender slot. But you're not a big enough name, mate. You don't sell. You don't make enough money. End of chat, mate. Yeah, this is look, a business. It is. And, you know, is this... <clears throat> I was listening to I was listening to a, a good mate of mine, Jack Slack, uh, who's a who's an MMA analyst, on the way into the studio before, and uh, and Jack made a great point. He was like, you know, the, the sports kind of since IMG WME took over the UFC, we you know we we are getting more and more of these circus fights, if you like, these freak show fights, these big pay per view fights that yeah, we exactly. all want to see. Money, it's, money it's, makers. We want to see it, but then. It's kind of, you know, it's degrading the sport a little bit because during the Zufa era, yes, we got these big, huge, marquee fights, but then we also, the fundamental of the Zufa era was it was based on the most worthy guy gets a shot. And that used to always be the arguments when people brought up boxing versus MMA or certainly the UFC and why it works and why it doesn't. It was like, well, the great thing about the UFC is... It's just fucking one group of guys around one table with one belt who just go, that guy's the most deserving, he fights the champion. In boxing, you don't get that because of politics and TV deals and the numerous world title belts. That was the strength of the UFC. Mm. And I think the, you're diluting that slightly now when we're seeing the fact that, you know, the most deserving guys, you know, Mike Bispin won the title from Rockhold. Fuck yeah, he deserved a gimme fight. Give him Dan Henderson back on home soil in Manchester. Gets a few quid. Perfect. You deserve that, Mike. That's basically like, yeah, that's your voluntary. Well done. Okay, now you've got to go and have a mandatory. It feels like he's going straight into another voluntary with George St. Pierre. I think it's a little bit shitty on your Romero. I think fans are a bit like, oh, come on. But then the same fans, myself included, would I rather go and watch Mike Bispin against your Romero or Mike Bispin against GSP? Of course I'd rather see GSP. So, you know, I'm trying to play devil's advocate here, but... We just need to be careful, you know. There's got it's got to remain a sport. It's got to remain. The rankings have got to mean something, you know what I mean. You don't want to win ten fights and never get a title shot. It's got to. You've got to. There's got to be a, a road to the gold at, at some stage. So, anyway, rant over. This is the Fight Disciples podcast. Subscribe now via the iTunes Store. Right then, USC two hundred nine breakdown. We're going to start right at the top. Because we went from the bottom up last time, we're going from the top down this time round because, let's be honest, um, number two was basically number two, mate. That's what it was between Woodley and Wonderboy. Yeah. Very disappointing, especially when we were so anticipating um, a different Tyrone Woodley, a man not to mess about this time round, to go steaming on in, take the kids to the deck and get them elbows going, get the bit of ground and pound going and get this out of there within two rounds. That's what we said on last week's show. How yeah. wrong could we be? There was too much respect. I, I, I'm all for respect, but there was too much respect. A lot of standoff. Nobody wanted to lose, and I think that's the key thing. They both approached this fight not wanting to lose yeah. rather than going out there to win. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Which is why you know I was I thought Woodley deserved to keep hold of the belt. I don't know how you felt about it, but oh yeah, mate. Listen, I don't think anybody did anything enough 
to for me to swear to, it. Yeah, to yeah, swear yeah. to swear exactly. that belt so, changing hands. You know, I think Woodley's coming for a lot of stick in the aftermath of it. And Woodley's, you know, he's turned into a bit of a the bad guy. You know, he he's, he is like a he's getting itch. He's getting the some wrestling bad shit, version of the heel. You know, he's like a, if he was in wrestling, he'd be the guy everyone gets booed against fucking Hulk Hogan. That's kind of his his role now, <laughs> and that's cool. You know what I mean? Heels make good money. He, to to a heel, the boos are just like cheers. Do you know what I mean? So mm. it, it's good for Tyron Woodley because this is how he can mark them. You know, fighting with Dana White and having these public bust ups. Great man, he fucking did Tito the world the good. It's not a problem. Like be the bad guy. It makes money, but you know, it's not it's not all about Tyron Woodley. Stephen Thompson didn't do enough either. Stephen no. Thompson didn't roll a dice. Stephen Thompson didn't commit. Commit. Stephen Don's, uh, Thompson didn't take a chance. Do you know what I mean? It's just like fucking. It takes two to tango here, boys. You know, both of them deserve a slap on the wrist. Both of them. You know, we get the performance of the night bonus, fifty thousand dollars. Dana should have got hit the press conference afterwards and gone. Both those guys are getting fined fifty thousand dollars for their unperformance of the night bonus. The two of them are shite. Mm. Two of them. If you've not seen the fight, by the way, just go straight to round five. Fast yeah. forward four minutes thirty. That's it. Watch From, the last thirty. Yeah, seconds, last thirty yeah. seconds. That's when it catches fire. That's yeah. how. That's how bad it was. Yeah, and that's the other thing. You know, there's been some criticism in the aftermath about the one judge that scored that last round, a ten-eight round. Mainly uh, because he was judging it on the previous four rounds that was shite. Nothing happened. Not pretty much nothing <laughs> happened. Yeah, Woodley got a takedown, didn't he? And 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 push forward. Was it the second round or the third yeah. round? Which because most people were like, oh, Thompson first, Woodley second, Thompson third and fourth. And by that, you basically because Stephen Thompson was walking forward and Tyron Woodley was circling the cage, but neither of them were throwing anything. So I, I for those three rounds that people scored for Thompson. <laughs> You know, one one real shot from any of them probably would have swayed those around. So though, there was at least one 10-10 ten, ten, ten in there, I thought. Nothing fucking happened. Yeah. But in the final round, where one judge, as I say, scored a 10-8. Now, that didn't... It, that judge, if his score had been... I think it was or it was... They talked about it afterwards saying they're going to change it back to a 10-9. It shouldn't have been a 10-8 uh, because it was only 30 seconds of pressure. Um, but even if they'd have changed that, it would have still been a major- uh, split decision win for Woodley rather than a majority win, win for Woodley. So it didn't really make much change, but I picked up on it because it was like the the commissioner, I think it was Bob Bennett, the commissioner of the yeah, right. come out and said, yeah, he scored at a 10-8 round, shouldn't have been a 10-8 round because it was only 30 seconds of pressure. It was should have just been a 10-9. And then, and 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 uh, again, I was listening, you know, Charles Sonnen mentioned it and I was thinking, he's fucking absolutely spot on. How much... How long is enough then for it to be a 10-8 round? Because in them 30 seconds, he should have took him Thompson out. Thompson was was almost out. Yeah. He dropped him twice. He was raining down shots. He was literally one punch away from knocking Stephen Thompson yeah, co- agreed. cold. So how'd you score a 10-8 round then? You know, how long did you have to be under pressure for? If he'd have knocked him down in the first minute and almost finished him and he got up and carried on, and he knocked him down a second time in the, in the final minute and almost finished him and carried on. Is that a 10-8 round? Like, because Thompson did zero throughout the rest of the round. So, is that a 10 8 round? Or if he'd have had them on the floor for 50 seconds or a minute, a full minute with two knockdowns, would that have been enough to score? It, it, it kind of weird. When he come out at Bob Bennett, I was thinking, oh, man, don't say that. Because he's he again, yeah, just to have someone in trouble for 30 seconds isn't long enough for it to be a 10 8. I was like, fuck, you, now you've just opened yourself up because now you need to explain how long is long enough then? How long do you have to have someone under pressure for a bit to be a 10 8 round? And I say, I heard Chelsea on him mention it. I thought he's fucking absolutely bang on. Like, how much pressure do you need to have for it to be a 10-8? Don't forget in boxing, if you drop someone, it's That's an immediate 10-8, yeah. immediately. 
So how long do you have to be beating somebody up inside an octagon for it to become a 10-8? Interesting. By saying that, though, you created a bit, aren't you, for future fights? For future fights that are scored 10-8, there's going to be analytics all exactly. over those rounds now. Exactly. And I don't even want to go there, but apparently these new rules that weren't in place in Nevada but are in place in other states in America and will be in place in Nevada from May or June, the amended rules... They're allowing for a 10-7 round. I don't even want to go there. I don't mm. even want to fucking think about what you have to do to get a 10-7 round. There were a couple of fights that did catch fire on this particular card. Yeah, um, big time. I think if you're a pure, not even necessarily if you're a purist, if you just like stand-up fighting, Timur against Vanata was brilliant, but I'm going to go right to Darren Elkins, man, because this was fucking just ridiculous. I we, thought we going fucking top to bottom, you've just said. Mate, no, I'm going more exciting now. I've got oh, right, okay. I don't want to talk about the boring ones. <laughs> just <laughs> jump, to, jump to whatever you want. Yeah. Okay, let's do it. We'll go straight We'll go straight to the most exciting fight on the card because there'll be people listening to this that have joined us for UFC, maybe following on from our boxing chat, thinking to yourself, yeah, let's get into the UFC. But if we carry on panning fights every single week, they might, they might leave us alone. So let's go for one that we really got excited about. Let's be straight. We called Mirsad Bektic. We're a massive fan of Mirsad. We met him in uh, Manchester. He was brilliant for us. Did some great yeah. interviews for us. You, I think, at Fighters Only called him one of the prospects of the year this year. Big time, yeah. He is. He was brilliant. And now, for 13 minutes in this mate, fight, he was outstanding. Absolutely. Go and watch this fight. If you haven't seen this, Mirsad Bektic, Darren Elkins. Mirsad puts manners on him for... A, 13 a good, minutes mate, he 13 batter, minutes. He batters the living daylights out of him. But then all of a sudden, Elkins just comes from nowhere and wins the fight. Probably the greatest turnaround I've ever seen watching the UFC. Yeah, it was uh, it was up there with like, uh, the, the best one that brings to mind is Pat Barry against Czech Congo. Good shout. Where Pat Barry's practically got Congo out about four times and then Congo just throws a haymaker from nowhere. But in this fight, Elkins got absolutely smashed to bits in the first round. It was... His, his head just got battered with elbows. There was blood everywhere. It was it was quite tough to watch. That was a 10-8 round. Let me say that. That was a 10-8 <laughs> well, round. Well, hang on a minute. They were only on pressure for at least yeah, exactly. four minutes yeah. in that. <laughs> yeah. There's only four minutes there. <laughs> then, then second round, more of the same. Beck ticks with that weird blue toupee that he had on uh, that we were buzzing about on social media. <laughs> Listen, the guy... Is and I still believe future featherweight world champion. No the guy is legit. That. Got no everything in his locker, but three minutes into the final round, so there's only two minutes left on the clock. Caught in a clinch, Elkins kind of works his way up against the fence. Seems to go for like a leg lock or a, a fucking heel hook or something. And Bektic kind of he's looking at his corner, Bektic, or he's looking at the clock as it's go. Yeah, yeah, I pissed this. So he has pissed he, it, and he and he shrugs. He kind of shrugs Elkins off. And starts to step away, but as he steps away, he looks. He doesn't look. He doesn't keep his eye on his opponents. He doesn't defend himself. No, he just kind of pushes away and and st- like he's standing back, like back straight up again. And as he pushes Elkins back, Elpen- Elkins just kind of leaps back to his feet and just throws a little choppy right hook. And it wasn't even the biggest shot you've ever seen, but it lands clean. Yeah. And more than anything, it lands. And Bektic has got no idea it's coming. Absolutely no idea. So as it lands, Bektic is just gone. I kind of tags him with another little one but the, the, I think the first one did all the damage and as Bektic is going over he hits him with a right a right kick doesn't he which caught yeah. him I don't think it really caught no, him that much no he's all about the punch I think by then he's already out and then Bektic kind of 
rolls on top of himself into this bizarre knockout position like he's sucking his own cock. It was weird, man. <laughs> it was weird. It was just like, what the fuck has just happened? And obviously, Team Alpha Male Corner, who basically have been bathing their guys' bloody cuts for the last 10 minutes, they just absolutely lost it then and went absolutely ballistic. But, Fair uh, play to the kid, man. Oh, that's, the man. Beauty of the, that's the beauty of the UFC. When we talk about it on a weekly basis, that it's moments like that. I mean, they yeah. they were thick and fast last year, moments like that. So that's yeah. why we get excited about it. We've had a disappointing post-Christmas period, but when you see moments like that, you go, yes, mate, Phenomenal. more of this shit. And listen, it come right after the fight before it as well. Luke Sanders absolutely beat the crap out of Alicantara, who last week we were like, oh, keep an eye on Alicantara, he beat Brad Pickett in Manchester, the guy's a killer. And in that fight, Luke Sanders battered him for mm. like in eight minutes, seven minutes. And I was like, oh no, we're going to get one wrong. We're going to get another one wrong here. <laughs> and uh, out of nowhere, Alicantara just pulled that knee bar off, literally out of nowhere. He was getting beat the hell up. So to have that one and be like, wow, what a comeback. And then Elkins, it was just like, yes, this is this is the UFC back to its best. Mate, don't talk to me about predictions last week on, the, on, on our UFC show. We were predicting all sorts of stuff. Or should I say, Nick's picks. Yeah, I'm going to shun this onto you because you threw me <laughs> under the bus yesterday. We are <laughs> boxing chat on Derry Matthews. I'm throwing you under the bus this week, my man, because our, our let's just say our boys didn't necessarily perform. We're going to have to talk about the Beju. Our boy Paul Craig, who's been undefeated yeah. up until this point, but yeah. Tyson Pedro put a, put a bit of manners on him. He, Paul, Paul's a little bit upset. He said that it got stopped prematurely. What's your take on it? I thought it was potentially a little bit premature. I can see what he's. I can see why he's upset. But to be honest with you, he took some. He took some decent elbows there. To be yeah, fair. yeah. So. You know, it's it better that he keeps his faculties about him. I think he was more embarrassed than anything else that 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 had happened. Plus, you know, the UFC have basically just uh, have just hinted that they're going to do a, a be returning to Scotland in the summer. And you know, I'm not being funny if Paul Craig they're putting the big performance. Just put there, his name on. No, just put his name oh, on because he'll, be he'll sell out. Oh, he'll be on. But you know, he, he could have he could have potentially swung a little main event there. You know, if he'd beat Tyson Pedro, we could have seen him against the you know a top fifteen. A fringe fifteen, light heavy, light heavy. You know, could have really been the making of Paul Craig. I think he's he'll still be on the, the London, uh, the Scotland card, but more than likely in Co-Main or something like that now. But uh, yeah, shame, big opportunity for Paul. But it's good to see Mark Godbeer getting a win in the heavyweight division. Yeah, uh, you know, after losing his on his debut in the UFC, uh, it's good to see him getting a win there. So, uh, so yeah. Can we talk about the main card now? Because it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, okay. Shall we go over him? Because you got the actual winner of this, right? Maybe not necessarily the way that this. Yeah, we said the finish, didn't we? Yeah, well, we, you said we, submission. We went for submission. You went for submission because of a pre- because of previous Alistair Overeem. Yeah, but I'd say but... something. His kickboxing came to fruition. He was throwing knees for fun in this fight against Hunt. I think he looked great. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've heard quite a bit of stick from Mark Hunt. Obviously, Mark Hunt's not in the greatest position right now because he's taking the UFC to court. So mm. I don't know what the future's going to hold for Mark Hunt. Uh, but I thought Mark Hunt looked good as well. I thought Mark Hunt looked pretty cool. For a guy that, you know, we're told it wasn't a broken leg, but we feared that broke his leg. That was weird. Yeah. It's like a, 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 the blood was just pouring out of his shin. It was so bizarre. But uh, We were told that he cracked his tibia. Yeah. But now we're told that he's not cracked his tibia. No, so maybe what they were saying, in the aftermath, they were like, he broke his leg in a fight. But uh, Jordan, the commentary, uh, Joe Rogan, um, Dominic Cruz, probably a bit more. By the way, Dominic Cruz, man. No wonder this guy won Analyst of the Year at the World MMA Awards last week, because fuck me, his his analytics during the fight. You you sit there and you're like, uh, you know, uh, great commentary, 
tells you stuff that you don't even see. Yeah. And, you know, and he's explaining shit, and you're like, fuck me. How did he see that? How did he know that was, you know what I mean? I, I thought, I doth my cap to Dominic Cruz, man. The guy is absolutely mustard. For me, right up there with, with, with Dan Hardy, his best analyst in the sport. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Um, look at your name checking your mate then. Uh, so, no, no, but uh, it was. It was. Uh, I, I was watching it. I was thinking, man, you are. Yeah, he was good. Mustard, mustard. Yeah, was good. But I thought Mark Hunt looked really good. Little choppy elbows on the inside. His leg kicks looked good. He looked quite strong. I thought at one point, you know, we had Overeem hit once or twice. I think the Reem for me is still there's still a little bit of frailty about him. But we're seeing a better Alistair Overeem now than we've seen previously in the UFC. This was a big finish for him. What happens now? I don't quite know. I know he called out our boy Francis Naganu. Mate, Naganu puts him to sleep. Do you think? Come on. <laughs> I just don't think. I don't know whether Naganu versus Overeem is the right fight for Naganu right now. It's like you know this heavyweight division isn't isn't the most packed division, which is why whenever they make fights like Overeem versus Hunt, you're like, oh, I've seen this before. I know we have actually seen that before, but you know, it's like, well, most of these fights now, oh, should Overeem fight Kane? Have I, have I not seen Overeem versus Kane? Yeah. Is he? You know, because there's only basically a pool of eight guys that are really at that top level. The fact that Naganu's coming to that party now, it's like, do we throw him in at, with, with Overeem or who's on a bit of a tear straight away or... I don't know whether that fight makes sense just yet. And plus, I get why Overeem's doing it, because he's like, I'll get that guy now so I don't have to get him later, because I think Naganu's just going to get better and better and better. So uh, it's cool. If cool if it happens, great for Europe, obviously, because both being European guys, but I'd rather see them both go in a different direction for now and maybe come together a bit later on. What do you make of your mate Rashad? Uh, I was devastated. I was devastated, to be honest with you. And uh, you won't know, be, th- he won't be robbing any hoodies for you anytime soon, will he? Son? No, no, he won't. No, and uh, you know, I, I said this to you, didn't I? We were taking the piss out of it a little bit. It, it, it looked like two dads fighting in the playground. <laughs> <laughs> like their kids had been in school in last, you know, last lesson of geography. Two, tw- two 16 year olds or fourteen-year-old boys go, "My dad would fucking kill your dad. Your dad would knock. My dad would knock your dad out." And then they get outside and both dads have just finished work and it's like, Daddy said he could, oh yeah, did he? I'll get him on the playground. It just looked like that, you know? It's just like some grey-haired old man with a big knee strapped up and ankle <laughs> strapped and, and another old man who's seriously been hammering the well, weights. You, you, you were texting me, mate. You were saying, why is he not kicking the knee? Exactly. Why is he not? That's the first thing Dan you Kelly's do. got the heavily strapped up knee and he's been in interviews and said, yeah, me, me knee's like smashed to bits, but... You know, by the time I have the surgery, it'll take 18 months to recover. So phew, I'm just fighting with it. It's like, okay, that's that's a green flag to kick the shit out of your knee. So, you know, there's two ways to look at it. Either Rashad is the ultimate gentleman by not picking on it at <laughs> it's all. It's a fight, man. Or Dude, he's an absolute <laughs> fool. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, that he's just told you he's got a bad knee. The guy's a judo expert. Take his base from under him, he's fucked. Mm. So that, that did surprise me. I'm not surprised it was a split decision. For me, it could have gone either way. It wasn't the wasn't the greatest fight I've ever seen. I don't think any of these guys are a threat to the middleweight title. Where Rashad goes from here, God knows. I've got no idea. You know, I thought physically he looked in great shape, but he was slow. He was lethargic. He looked like a guy that's been out of action for a year. I just don't know what he offers the sport anymore. For me, this was a gimme. You know, I'm not saying Dan Kelly's not a killer because he may look like somebody's dad. He may look like Steve Martin, but. <laughs> He's, uh, you know, he, he he wins. He wins fights, Dan Kelly. You put him in fights, he wins fights. So for him, it's upwards and onwards. I think there's a UFC card in Australia or Auckland later in the year. Expect him to be up there against a, a top 15 guy now. Um, 
But for my boy Rashad, man, I think this could be the end of the road. I hope it isn't. But, you know, I don't want to see him losing to Giggs guys. With all due respect, Dan Kelly, you know, he only came to the sport a few years ago. This is a former world champion. I want to see him firing all cylinders or not fighting at all. Let's finish on uh, fight of the night. David Timor, Lando Venata. Um, Special. Yeah, I didn't know too much about David Timor coming into this fight. I'll be honest with you, mate, mainly because I concentrated all my efforts on Lando Venata and that unbelievable knockout that we uh, that yeah. we um, talked about at the back end of last year. Don't get me wrong, Lando looked. He, I think I still think he looked amazing. I just love his athleticism in the octagon. He's flying all over the gaff. You think he's so fucking hell? If he lands one of these things, we're in for another knockout of the year. This is unbelievable. The way that he is so athletic, but you've got to give Timor credit because he kept coming and he kept landing clean. Yeah, I thought Timo was outstanding. Um, obviously, we first seen him on the Ultimate Fighter. Um, he, you know, he made a bit of noise on there, but you went, you know, we didn't expect too much from him at the stage. I know uh, he trains with Alexander Gustafsson in, in Stockholm, so we knew the guy was capable. But and he, he's a former K one champion, I think. So we know his stand up is the stand up is legit, but. Uh, no one expected this. We certainly didn't last week. We thought Vanata was just going to have too much for him. But on last week's show, though, we did say that Vanata's background, his grappling, his wrestling, his, that kind of base that he's got, plus his striking, we were like, his striking will match Timo, but his, his grappling game's too much, which will push him over the edge. We didn't see it. No, he didn't use Lando it. Lando Vanata didn't use it. It's like, mm. well, if, you've, if you come from this, I know he's in love with this. This happens to grapplers all the time. They have this amazing grappling base. They get into the <laughs> UFC. They learn how to strike and then they fall in love with knocking people out. This is, this is Ronda Rousey. This yeah, is Ronda exactly. Rousey, man. I think Vanata suffered from the same thing because I know that it was a unanimous 30-27 across the board decision, but we know anybody that watched that fight knows that it wasn't that one-sided. No. Every round, you could argue, could have been scored for Vanata. Yes, I thought Timor won the fight. I added two two rounds to one. But if Venata just uses intelligence a little bit more and gone, right, you know what? Last 30 seconds, it's been a great striking match, but sorry, son, time for a double leg, time for you to go on your back and me to do a little bit of ground and pound. Do you think he got carried judges. away with the success of that knockout at the back end of last year? He thinks he's a knockout king now? Quite possibly. Plus, it was bumped up to Comain as well. So, yeah. you know, the extra spotlight and everything else under a little bit of pressure to perform. Obviously, he's, you know, this is only his second or third fight in the UFC. Don't he's get only, me wrong, he performed. He's only with Tony, Thompson, uh, Tony Ferguson. Yeah, he did perform. It was a great fight. But one of them fights that both guys come out of it with a lot of credit. Yeah. But I just think Venata's corner, which is surprising because you could argue the best corner in the business, Greg Jackson, Mike Winklejohn. You know, why they didn't say to him, listen, it's Take close. It's great. Last 30 seconds now of the of the second and the third round, just to make sure... Just take him down, put him on his back, tie him up, land a bit of ground and pound, sway the judges. I think if he does that, he wins the second and third round because I say all, all three rounds were close. And I think if he'd have done that as a way to end every round or even just at any stage, do us a favour. It's a great fight. We're enjoying it. But just put him on his back. You know, show him who's boss. Show him what the game's all about. <laughs> this is mixed martial arts after all, not kickboxing. I think Renata wins the fight and sways the judges. So I think he played to Timor's strengths a little bit too much. I think he'll regret it now. But from a... Fans' perspective, man, it was fucking awesome. What a great fight. You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. A couple of fights that have been uh, announced this week that have caught my eye. UFC 211, the return of Eddie Alvarez, the man that obviously was, um, let's just say, put to sleep by uh, Conor McGregor, the former uh, champion, taking on Dustin Poirier. This is a good fight, man, for 211. I'm quite happy that this is that this has been made. Your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I think it's a it's a cracking little fight. Yeah, I'm uh, really looking forward to it. I uh, I think it's a good fight for Eddie Alvarez to come back. I think Poirier def- deserves an opportunity like this to really fly up the rankings. Uh, 
you know, Poirier, like a lot of these guys, like Max Holloway and stuff, they they lose they lose to Connor, and it kind of gives them a fresh fresh look, outlook, you know. And they, I think, once you lose to Connor and all that for uh, the, the the circus that's around Connor, once you've been in with Connor McGregor, all all the rest of it's fucking easy now because you've 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 been at the very top, you've been under the most <laughs> you've scrutiny made your money. possible, you've made your money, you know, but you've been under the most scrutiny possible. If you can handle fighting Connor McGregor in a big fight, then you can handle fighting anybody, and I think it could be the right. Right opportunity for him at the right time in terms of LD Alvarez for sure. What do you make of uh, the Ben Rothwell USADA violation? Um, disappointing, of course. I know Ben Rothwell's come out and made a statement, hasn't he, saying, "Please don't, don't, don't shoot me just yet. Don't hang me, hang me out to die yet. I've been experiencing some medical issues, and this yeah. has been recorded to USADA." So, before to start judging anybody, and let's face it, you know the guy clearly isn't taking drugs to make himself look good. <laughs> uh, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, let let's wait and see how that one plays out, but. Uh, it's, that's what USADA's for. This is why the UFC brought in the most stringent drug testing in all of sports because they want to make sure that, listen, these guys are fighting for a living. They're punching each other in the face. They're not running on the track. They're not hitting you know, a stupid leather ball with a bat or anything like that. These guys are punching each other in the face. And it should be the most drug tested sport in the world. So we're going to get stuff like this that we go, what? Can Ben Rothwell's fail the drug test? What, you know, what the hell for? So... Let's wait and see. Let's not judge anybody at the moment. Let's see how that one plays out. I'm more excited really about Brazil this weekend. Well, we'll get to Vitor in a minute against Kelvin Gastelum. Just on 211 that we just mentioned there, Poirier Alvarez being added to that card. Now, yeah. I know that we big things up. We big two or nine up. And okay, the main attraction didn't necessarily live up to expectation. But just let me give you this on 211, yeah? Eddie Alvarez, Justin Poirier is on there. We're ex- anticipating that being a good fight. Your man Damian Myers taking on Jorge Masvidal, who is in a bit of a streak at this moment in time. That could potentially be a good fight. Maybe Damian Myers might dominate it, but it's potentially a good fight. Yeah. My girl Johanna taking on Jessica Andrade. A good fight. Yep. Stipe Mayocic, uh, JDS. Listen, 211 wow, stacks stacked. up, man. Jesus Christ, that's a stack card. It stacks up. So hopefully... It's getting better. This year is starting to build. Yeah, you know, Fergus and Khabib hadn't dropped off at the weekend. We, you know, we'd be rapping now about what an amazing card it was. You know, it, I think it was overshadowed. Don't let the fact that the main event didn't really catch fire overshadow that. Two hundred nine was a great event. I enjoyed it. Well, with that in mind, then let's jump on to uh, what's happening this weekend because uh, a lad that we met in Manchester, Vitor Belfort, um, is back in action against Kelvin Gastelum. This is this make or break for. Not for both guys. Definitely, I think definitely for Vitor, this is the twilight of his career now. So therefore, he has to put a performance in, and he has to win. Yeah. But for where, where, where does how does Kelvin approach this? Because this is a great name on his uh, on his resume. If he does this, then the, he's starting to shoot up rankings. Of course, yeah. And Kelvin Gastelum, you know, he's. He, he, I know he didn't choose to move to middleweight because he still considers himself a welterweight but this is the best thing that's ever happened to him he looks brilliant as a middleweight and you know he he wouldn't have necessarily got the opportunities that he's had at middleweight back down at welterweight they forced him to move up obviously had the win over former world champion Johnny Hendricks then he he completely obliterated uh, you know Tim Kennedy on his big return and you know Tim Kennedy's got wins over Michael Bispin you know this Make no mistake, Gaslam has proved himself to be a legit middleweight, you know, and uh, I think this opportunity against Vitor this weekend just presents him with yet another chance to claim a massive scalp. You know, Vitor Belfort isn't the fighter he once was. He was he isn't the world champion he once was. You know, he, he isn't the threat he once was. Now, whether that's because of the USADA testing or not, well, you know, I'll let other people 
you know, argue over that. Toss, well, I'll do it. Yeah, it is. That's the reason yeah. why it is. <laughs> TRT. That's he's, what it uh, is, man. He's not been the same fighter since you saw the test and came in and TRT went out. You know, he now he's starting to look like what he is, a guy that's been fighting for 25 years rather than some weird fresh-faced guy having a, a second uh, chapter in his career. So this is a massive opportunity for, for, for Gastelum. Um, who I think, you know, starts as favourite for this fight, even though it is in Brazil as well. I think Vitor, you're right, coming off the back of two losses in the twilight of his career, I think Vitor, this could well be a bit of a swan song for him in Brazil. Certainly if, they, if things don't go his way, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if if he did call it a day. Um, but it's interesting ones. It's same, you know, likewise, Shogun's on this card too. Shogun and Vitor, the co-main events in Brazil, two absolute icons of the sport, but two guys that... They're not what they once was because the sports move forward. The, mm. the next generation of fighters are here, uh, and Kelvin Gastelum is certainly one of those as well. So um, I feel this could be a tough weekend for Brazil. You know, it could be a tough card for Brazilians to watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the major, the whole main card features a Brazilian because you'd love to be there because it, the crowd would be absolutely nuts this weekend. I mean, Edson Barbosa is also on that card. Love Edson Barbosa, mate. He's great, and I'm a huge fan of Alex Oliveira as well, who's also on this yeah. card. Carlo, so yeah. it is absolutely stacked with Brazilian talent. So the atmosphere there is going to be something else this weekend. It is, yeah. It's going to be awesome, and uh, you know, it's. Uh, I just. You know, I'm looking down the card and uh, and I'm seeing a lot of guys that can that can put upsets in though as well. Kevin Lee, I'm a huge fan of the lightweight. Uh, we talked about him on the show before. Kids on an absolute tear. He's fighting Trinaldo, who's on an unbelievable tear of wins as well. So that's an amazing fight at the top of the prelim card. That's one that jumps out to me. But I'm a huge fan of Edison Barbosa. I have been since he he knocked out my old mate Terry Etim. Uh, with that unbelievable spin and back kick a few years ago, yeah. I've, I've, I've kept in contact with with Edson and his family, um, and we've done quite a few bits with fighters only with them. And he's an absolute diamond of a guy, absolutely lovely. And likewise, but Benny Aldariusha, who he takes on here, this is a top uh, ten clash in the, the lightweight division, man. It's unbelievable top ten. top ten clash, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Dariusha himself as well, ridiculous jujitsu, absolutely ridiculous ground game. But another guy that came to the UFC and seems like he, he wants to prove a point with his hands as well. I seen him fight Ranzi Nijin live out in uh, in Abu Dhabi a few years ago, and uh, you know he just fought completely the wrong fight. And he, you know this is a guy that's an absolute expert on the ground. So uh, th- this fight could go either way. Honestly, I, I think Darius really does fa- fancy his hands these days. He had a great knockout win over James Vick, the former Golden Gloves champion. Uh, and he's coming off a big win over Magomedov, of course, who's just a submission machine. So this fight against Edson Barbosa projects one of those guys right up there. I know the lightweight division's been kind of backlogged a little bit right now, but this is a great fight. You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. What's next week, Nick? Next week is UFC London, baby. That's right. It's coming to our shores. Um, yep. and We're going to be doubt- there up close and personal. Look at you. Mixing it, mixing it with the big boys, aren't you? Uh, because the week after, you're going to do a little bit of a fallout show all by yourself because I've decided to go on holiday. I need yeah. to get a little bit of sun on my face. So Nick and all the all the stars of USC London, uh, that'll be a special show for you in a couple of weeks' time. But next week will be our preview of that, uh, yeah. which stars our boy uh, Jimmy Manua. 
taking on Corey Anderson uh, in the main event. It's a it's a good good card. We've we've cr- we've critiqued maybe the main event when we compare it to um, Bellator London, but the card itself stacks right up. There's some sensational talent on that of which we're going to be getting stuck into next week. So make yeah, sure you come and join please. us. I've no doubt there's people listening that are going to the event on the yeah, yeah, on the 18th down at the Auto Arena. It's going to be it's going to be something else. Make sure uh, if you do see Nick uh, that he buys you a pint. All right, <laughs> easy. What do you mean? Easy. Maybe that could... No, I like to do a little bit of a straw poll to see who's listening to our stuff and going to the events. So if yeah. you see Nick at the say event hello. in London, go, no, don't go say hello. <laughs> Tap him on and say, oi, Stinge. Buy get to the, yeah, get No, you buy them a drink. <laughs> <laughs> As a reward for, obviously, and a thank you for coming and listening to the show on a weekly yeah. basis. Yeah? Anyone, anyone that comes up and, and, and talks Fight Disciples with me, I'll, I'll take you to the bar for sure. Good lad. Nick will now obviously be attending that in uh, fancy dress <laughs> yeah. or a disguise. Big, false big, big disguise. <laughs> trying to avoid eye contact with there's anybody. There's my excuse to wear heels and a miniskirt. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for listening to today's show. If you've missed anything that we've done over the last seven days or even the last year or so, it's all on our website, fightdisciples.com. You can subscribe to us via iTunes as well and come and join us um, on a daily basis as we get stuck into social media. Uh, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fight Disciples. We'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes.